Marks Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm John McGee. Today we're talking about problem solving with Caitlin Van Wagner. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, John. So glad to be here. <laughs> okay. So I thought we'd start this way. Um, you've been on a lot of episodes. You may have appeared on the podcast more than any other guest. Oh, wow. You're kind of a, kind of a fixture here. Oh, so wow. the audience knows you. What's something that they, you know, those who are listening, who've heard you before, don't know about yeah, you or, yeah. or that I might not know about that you? You might not know about me. Okay. Um, I think most people don't know about me is that I used to have a pet rooster and a pet goose growing up. <laughs> what? Yeah. And Lucy the goose and Red the rooster. Oh, yes, great. And names. Great um, names. I lived in a pretty rural area until I was about four or five, and and those were our you know outdoor pets. And then well, also the bonus is that um, one day I thought Red the rooster ran away. That's what I was told when I was small. <laughs> oh, no. And then within the last couple of years, my dad has recently comp- confessed that he actually took Red the rooster to the pound one day in the middle of the day because he was tired of being woken up at I dawn. I thought you were going to say you put him on the grill that's what no, i thought no 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 no. okay you just took so him to the pound i have so many questions yeah so there's a pound a rooster pound no it's what? the regular pound there's just one pound you I take believe. you take a rooster to the pound where there's cats and dogs i don't and you know drop if it. it's recommended off? john this is just what happened <laughs> <laughs> so if you know caitlin like you know some some people would throw off like uh country i had a rooster vibes uh-huh. that is just not yeah. It's not the way you present. I mean, I've rebranded myself, <laughs> you know? And you also have- In I mean, my adulthood. I don't know if you don't want to cut this out, but you you all, I, this I did know, you had raccoons as my a kid. My parents raised raccoons. That was <laughs> You're trying prior, to distance yourself. I'm distancing <laughs> myself. That was prior to our, our birth and when it was still legal, it's, it's no longer legal. My parents raised a litter of abandoned raccoons. You can train them like cats. Okay. Yeah, wow. there's a lot of content there. We could like do that. People are going to pause right now and yeah. hit, hit Google and uh, you can raising raccoons. Okay. Wow. Well, uh, we were not talking. This is not a uh, conversation about uh, farms, agriculture, uh, or uh, animals. We're talking about solving uh, problems. Uh, Caitlin, we've been through COVID, and I feel like you and I, I've watched you, we've solved a lot of problems. It feels like mm-hmm. a big part of what we do. Let me ask you this if you had to guess, what percentage of your job is solving problems? And so that could be both fixing things that are mm-hmm. you know, broken, wobbly, or maximizing opportunity. Uh, what percentage of your job is solving problems? I would say 70% of wow. my, my, yeah. my job. Yeah. And that includes people management uh, opportunities and problems. But yeah, 70 to 80% of my job has become getting things unstuck. Yes, yes. Chief it's- unstuck person o- officer sure C- sure uh, ceo sure. i guess yeah okay we'll change uh we'll change your card so um yeah i think that is what uh leaders do mm-hmm. um, we, we said before that leaders exist because problems exist and that is uh, a big part some of us sometimes it's going to be 70 percent. if you're starting out probably it's not going to be uh, that high but it is a skill that you have to have mm-hmm. as a leader you have to think about problem solving become a student of it learn your uh, your own your own self like how you think how you uh, process we're going to talk about uh, some of those kind of things and you just got to get better at it but there is a discipline and there is a rigor to uh, problem solving that we kind of have to apply and, and grow in and and I think about um, I was thinking about just the rigor of this or the, uh, the discipline of this. Uh, I, 
I don't know this is true, I wasn't around, but um, apparently Einstein said that uh, if he had one hour to solve a problem, he would spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem mm -hmm. and then five minutes thinking about the solution. And That's so, about right. which is generally, we just want to fire off, you know, solutions and get past the problem. But there is a discipline and a rigor to solving problems that we need to get good at um, as, as leaders. And mm -hmm. so this is going to be uh, some tools, some things that, that we do, uh, some some ideas that we want to share with our audience. Um, go ahead. Um, yeah. And my, so, so John, to that point, in my old role, I worked in a more corporate um, setting and I was actually a strategist by trade. And one of the phrases that we used to use whenever we would get a problem is you have to get in the problem and swim around in it. That's good. That's you have really to good. get in it and you have to go. And for a while, you think I'm never going to get out of this lake because um, you're just you're just discovering new things and the water seems like it's getting higher. And then eventually you come up for air. Yeah. But you got to get into the messy work of swimming around in the problem and okay. understanding it from every angle. Um, so that's what we used to call it felt literally like being flooded sometimes in the beginning. And you have to kind of have that perseverance to take on, hey, when you're first starting to solve a really hairy problem, it's going to feel really overwhelming and you got to push through. I love it. Okay. Well, let's talk about how we can uh, solve problems. So we brought together 10 questions to help you solve problems uh, when you're stuck. So let's just jump right in. Uh, number one, Caitlin, is what problem are you trying to solve? Unpack that one. Okay. So this Ma is a magical phrase. Incredible. This is probably, um, if you hear nothing else from this podcast, you should just write this phrase on a sticky note and put it by your desk and it unlocks all sorts of strategic thinking. So to repeat it again, it's what's the problem you are trying to solve. So let me just walk you through how this often plays out in my role. So I do communications around here and often people will come to me with a tactic. So they come to me and I'm going to give you a completely hypothetical scenario. They come to me and they say, hey, we need a video that gets people to serve with us. Okay, great. Uh, that's a tactic, a video that gets people to serve. And I could just execute that request, right? But if I sat down and I said, hey, what's the problem you're trying to solve with that video? What's yes. it trying to do? So let's say that, let's take the scenario and play it a couple more clicks. And they say, hey, well, um, we actually, on Sunday morning, um, we are, a lot of people are getting towed because they're parking in the wrong area. And so we need more <laughs> people to serve um, to be able to direct traffic on Sunday mornings. Yep. And that's like, oh, goodness gracious, we're actually trying to solve a different problem. The problem you are trying to solve is not a lack of awareness about service needs. It's actually wayfinding on Sunday morning. You don't need a video. You need signage. You need yeah. better signage to yep. tell people right where they need to go on Sunday mornings, right? So that was an example of somebody brought with brought me a tactic. And when we dug deeper to figure out what the root problem was, a different solution that was more cost effective, more strategic, probably worked better in the long term, presented itself. And that scenario plays itself out a thousand different ways in a given week in my role, specifically in communications. But I see it all over. So yep. that's an example of what's the problem you are trying to solve, unlocking a different solution. Um, so that, that would be where I would say, start there if you don't have anywhere else to start. Yeah, I agree with you, Caitlin. If you're going to turn it off, you can turn it off after this point, because this is probably the most helpful um, question that we can give you. We, we say this all the time around here uh, when we're thinking about, you know, starting something, shutting something down, uh, tweaking something before we get to the solutions, we mm -hmm. want to make sure that we understand the right problem. And I just see churches, and I don't know what it is. Um, I think I think it's a really good place. It's a desire to be in motion, mm -hmm. to do new things, to, to try to innovate, right? And so I, I will get this question a lot. Um, people will ask about models and it, whatever it is. It's about church polity. It's about small groups. And they will, mm -hmm. they will come and they say, we're thinking about this one or this one. What do you think? And I'll, that's exactly what I'll, uh, I'll do. I'll kick this question back out to them. And I say, well, it depends. What problem are you trying to solve? And generally there's silence. Uh, then they go, 
I don't know. And I go, I bet you, um, if you will answer that question, then the solution will present itself. But otherwise, you're just going to do something and hope it works out. If you'll spend just a little bit more time, mm-hmm. have a little bit more discipline uh, to ask what's the problem you're trying to solve, then the solution will be crystal, crystal clear. I see this all the time in communications with people wanting to do new things. So they'll come yes. and they'll say, which is a great desire. They want to innovate and um, they'll say something like, "I we just really want to be on TikTok. Okay, great. (laughs) Great. What's the problem you're trying to solve? Um, And does that make sense for the problem you're trying to solve? Are you reaching the right audience? Right. Or they'll say something like we need a rebrand for our ministry. And is it because and and I ask, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And it's like, well, we're we're internally just really tired of it. Well, that's probably not a good enough reason. Or we want to launch a new ministry that does X. Um, So just making sure that if you're doing something new, that is either a problem you're trying to solve or an opportunity you're trying to seize. That's kind of the flip side, more optimistic version of this question. You could rewrite it um, in a way that's more positive to go, what's the problem you're trying to solve or opportunity you're trying to seize? But again, I have this. This is my most commonly used tool in my tool chest. This will get you 70% of the way. Yeah, that's it. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. So um, the next one then, it feels like a close cousin. Uh, Is this the right problem to be solving? So how are those different? So hand in hand with asking the question, uh, what is the problem we're trying to solve is, is the, that the right problem to be solving? So in the business world, this is called problem framing. And I'm going to have an example that I stole um, from the, uh, a business journal online um, to, to explain this. So this is a pretty famous business example. It's called the slow elevator problem. Have you ever heard of this? <laughs> I've experienced it, but I don't know if I've heard okay, of it. Okay, okay, okay. So the example goes like this. So there's an apartment building that is run um, by a group, a management company, and they're getting a lot of complaints from their tenants that the elevator is slow. And the tenants are going, hey, we are threatening to move because the elevator is slow. So in that, on face value, you would go, well, what's the problem that they need to be solving, right? Is that the elevators are slow. They need to replace the, the, and then the solution would naturally present itself. Well, then we need to just fix the elevators and spend however many hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix elevators, right? So that at face value, that's the problem that presented itself most readily, right? And the management company said, you know what? What if we tried to solve a different problem? What if the problem wasn't that the elevators were too slow? What if it's that the tenants were bored while they were waiting? And so instead of trying to solve the slow elevator problem, they, they tried to solve the bored tenant problem and they put in mirrors next to the elevators because they found that people tend to stay more engaged and entertained when they have a mirror to look at while they're waiting for the elevator and the complaints went down. Hmm. But that's an example of they chose to solve a different problem in a way more cost effective way. Um, and so it, they were they were framing the problem differently. So what hand in hand was if you've identified what problem we're trying to solve, you want to take the extra half step of going, is that the right problem to be solving? Is there another related problem to potentially solve? That's good. So it occurs to me that I think, I think this, here's where this comes into play and maybe it's really, really helpful because people are going to bring you the problem. Um, in that instance, the, the customers were really, really noisy and they said, you know, this is a problem. And so management then uh, normally would start to solve that problem that the customers presented. And so you can say uh, sometimes the customers aren't always right, mm-hmm. that they're experiencing a problem. They just don't know how to articulate what it really is uh, that they're you know experiencing. And so a lot of times people will come to you and say, here is a problem. So it's your job then as a leader to go, 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that's actually the problem. There's, there is there a problem? Yes, right? Mm-hmm. So people are complaining about the elevators. Absolutely. Are they complaining about our discipleship process? Are they complaining about the speed in which we get back with them, whatever it is? But is that actually what uh, the pain is? And uh, so if we're not clear on that, we're going to solve a problem that doesn't really uh, exist, which probably, you know, with people with phones and things like that, honestly, I don't know how fast you could have made that elevator that people wouldn't have experienced, you know, five seconds Absolutely. of boredom and uh, they want to riot and, you know, uh, get pitched forks and torches. Um, they they uh, they think they're right. They've got something that they know is uh, is a problem. They just might not be right when they present it. And it's your job as a leader just to keep double clicking on that. So what is the problem we're trying to solve? Uh, and then is that actually the right problem to be solving? Two fantastic questions. Okay. So uh, let's move on to number three. So the third question to help you get unstuck is, is there a third option? So John, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So this, this will happen a lot when uh, you are in a position where people are bringing you problems to begin to help weigh in or solve uh, for them, just kind of, as you talk about kind of swimming around uh, in the problem, what will happen a lot of times is people will come and they will bring you two different options and they will say, um, you know, here's a, here's a problem. And the, the solution is a or B and we're trying to des- decide which one uh, it is. Should we choose A? Here's the pros. Here's the cons. Should we choose B? Uh, here are the pros. Here are the cons. And I think a great leader doesn't just take those two uh, options uh, as gospel. And they begin to wonder, is there a third option? If I don't like either one of those options, is there a third option? They don't allow themselves to get painted into mm-hmm. uh, a corner. And so it's, again, this is back to some of the discipline, back to some of this, like uh, developing some skills that you may or may not have. But I, when you know, when someone comes to me and they say it's, it's A or B and I don't like either one of those, mm-hmm. I just go, I, I, I choose neither. Mm-hmm. Uh, now let's figure out another, another solution. We saw, we saw, uh, Blake Holmes, uh, do this. We were in a meeting and something came up and they were two very, very logical, uh, solutions. And he goes, I choose neither. <laughs> <laughs> so we sat around for a little bit, we talked and we came up with what I, what I think was a better option. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So sometimes that's called a false choice problem. Yep. Yep. Um, or because I think also as human beings in the world we live in, we tend to be really binary. And so we love a binary. It's really comforting to us. So I think there is something unnerving and takes a little bit of a thought retraining to go, uh, I wonder if there's a third option. I reject the premise of your question. I wonder if there's a third option. That's it. I love so, it. Okay. Love so this is the way the brain works. I am stuck back now on the rooster and back I, I'm, I'm back okay. on the rooster. And so what you grew up your, you whole, your whole life. You grew up and you thought the rooster, you know, yeah. you know, I don't know what you thought. He, he ran away. Uh, and, and now your dad, like, yeah, he, I mean, the rooster died in there, right? He really had did. to have. That's really you know, sad. But well, like, he's how, obviously how do you, passed now. It's been you, twenty years. Tr- truly. Uh, so how do you? I mean, how do you feel? What would you do? What would you say? How do? You, how do you even process that? I feel. I mean, <laughs> I think I tried to insert trust that my dad was just trying to live in the light, and oh, parents so make spiritual. mistakes. You're so spiritual. Parents make mistakes, and when you know he wasn't much older than I am now when I was three or four. And so we just got to go, Ugh, you know, is that really, I just, I find that such a, so hard to believe that that really was your posture and what you said. You know, I don't think so, but <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm on a church podcast okay, and I'm now trying to, and he's going to listen to this. Hi dad. <laughs> cause he listens to everything. Cause he's such a good dad. I'm sure he was doing the best he can, he which is really can. leaders and parents generally yeah, doing they're the doing can, the best like, they listen, can. Okay. Fine. So back to regular schedule programming. Uh, number four, uh, as we're thinking about kind of 
questions that will help you solve a problem. Number four, who are we trying to reach? Or you could also say, who is this thing for? Explain that one. So I'm going to take this specifically from a communications event and then widen it to a larger ministry setting to make it more applicable. But from a communications perspective, the most critical thing to define is audience. Everything from the tone, the messaging, what it looks like, what it says, how we communicate something should flow from defining who the audience is, what are their needs. So it's kind of design-based thinking, but everything is around audience. So all the communications people on here that are listening, I know that they're going, amen in the car Um, (laughs) or office wherever you're listening to this. Um, But if you widen this out to a ministry setting, one of my favorite examples that I have just observed had nothing to do with actually came from our college ministry over the last four to five years. So historically, our college ministry, so Watermark is located in Dallas, Texas. And historically, our college ministry was focused on a singular audience at a singular college, which was a great college here in Dallas. It was the biggest one, the large, well, one of the largest ones in college with great kids. And our college ministry was focused on reaching those kids. And a couple of years ago, somebody was trying to solve, was asked, hey, is are we sure that's the right audience to be reaching? Um, is Are we missing some opportunity here? And so they, over time, realized that there are 100,000 college kids at a lot of different smaller colleges all across Dallas. And so they completely changed their audience, which completely changed their ministry strategy. So everything from the time they met, the structure of their small groups, the branding changed because they changed audiences, because they realized they were focused on the wrong the wrong or just too narrow of a niche of students. These students were great, but they were awesome students all across Dallas. And I thought that was such a great example of going, are we trying to reach who is, who is this thing for? And are we sure that's the right people that we should be focusing on? So I love that example from our college ministry. That's awesome. So a couple things uh, I think of one, a lot of times when we are thinking about a solution, we're building something, um, the person we're trying to reach the person or better said, um, we're trying to create it for or serve is us. We think we are the target mm-hmm. audience. And so we, and which is actually sometimes a fantastic question to ask. Like, would I want to come to this thing? Would I, Absolutely. would I be excited? That's it's a great question. But a lot of times we spend a lot of energy. Uh, I'll, I'll use, you know, the category of spiritual development mm-hmm. and we, we target us. What would we need? What do we want? Which again is great. Um, but a lot of times people are at a different place than us. And so if you keep that in mind, you're going to create something that will serve them much better than something that would just serve you and not them. Well, I think the other example I think of, um, is our young adults and they mm-hmm. are crystal clear on who it is that they're Absolutely. trying to serve. And so what happens is people will come in with really, really good ideas and they'll say, you should do this or you should do more of this or less of this. And they kind of stand in a really yeah. uh, centered place to go, no, no, because we know exactly who it is that we're trying to to reach and who it is that we're trying to serve. Uh, we're going to do it this way. And it brings incredible clarity and really, I think you could say incredible effectiveness. One of the things I love that you do, and so our young adults team office is on the eighth floor of Watermark. And if you walk um, past one of their cubes or into one of their offices, they actually have the printed out personas of the audience that they are trying to reach on their office wall. So they have fake personas that they've made up. They've given them names, Johnny and Jane Dallas, and they've given them names and personalities mm-hmm. and, and they refresh those every year based on uh, 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 how their audience changes every year. But they have those printed out and in there, stuck on their the office of their cube to remind every single thing is for them, mm-hmm. um, for those people and not necessarily for the staff, the young adult staff. And I just love that they do that. It's such a fabulous example of trying, and that's really an act of service. And it's an yeah, act of sure. humility to go, hey, this thing is not for me. It's for them. And so I just love that they do that. I've always felt like that was, that was one of the things that makes that ministry so strong is they are so crystal clear on who they're trying to reach. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. John, question number five is how can we make it simpler or said another, 
another way, what is the simplest solution? Yeah, and this is just a reaction to <laughs> you know, my, my tribe, uh, church leaders. I feel like sometimes they stand in front of a, a whiteboard, they come up with um, all kinds of solutions to problems, and they, they inherently gravitate towards the most complex answer. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't know why. I think maybe it might make you look smart if it feels really, really uh, complicated and smart. Somehow maybe you feel um, smart. And I think uh, a great question uh, is to ask, how can we make this simple? Or, or what is the simplest solution? Given everything that we could do, what is the simplest solution? And that will allow it to travel uh, further. People will be able to explain it uh, better. And people will be able to implement it, uh, I think, much more effectively. And so um, just something I try to do is you know, when I come up with a, uh, with a solution to whatever problem is, if I can sit on it for 24 hours, a question I'll ask is, can I make this even mm-hmm. more simple? Can I remove some parts and just what is the, the bare bones? What has to happen? Uh, it's just a question I ask myself, you know, can I make this any simpler? From a communications perspective, a phrase that I've stolen is if it's not simple, it can't be remembered. If it can't be remembered, it can't be acted upon. And if it can't be acted upon, it won't be real. So the importance is to make it simple enough that you can explain it in one sentence. Yeah, that's And really so good. often we just make it way too complex. I feel like communications people have an answer like to everything. I feel like yeah. like all of life's problems a communications sure, sure, person sure. has. We just stick we just all steal it from the same book. You know what I mean? There's a there's a primer you get when you get out of school that's like For communications people. Yeah. Just how to how to fake it till you make it, you know? I got it. Yeah. Okay. You're great. I'll send it to you. It'll be great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay, number six. Um, here's a question. What will make the biggest impact with a relatively low cost? Okay. So for this one in, in a business setting you'd call this like a matrixing in a matrixing exercise, this would be high impact and low cost, which is essentially if the most obvious solution is really big, really expensive, really complex, what if you just started with what could make the biggest impact with the lowest amount of cost? I want you to start there. Don't try to fix the big thing all at once. Start with the small thing that's going to make the biggest impact. So let me give you an example that I saw play out within the last few weeks. So we are having, which is a fabulous problem to have, an overcrowding problem on our Sunday mornings. So our, our Sunday morning services are just really, really tight and we are really strapped for space in our auditorium. So the most obvious solution is we got to do something big, right? We got to add another service. Um, we got to, we got to think really creatively. And those are big, complex, expensive solutions that we probably will have to get to. But I saw this play out really masterfully with, um, in the last few weeks when we decided to, you know what, we are going to work on the bigger term solution, but we're actually going to start by encouraging people to sit closer together during services. Um, so we are going, we started the last few weeks really simply, we started with this animated slide and an announcement at Sunday services to ask people to scoot in, to make better use of the space we already have high impact, low cost. Now we're still working on the big long-term problem, but we had to start somewhere and that made an impact. And so you had to start somewhere and that was, that was almost free. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you think about a kind of a four by four matrix, you got four quadrants um, on the left uh, would be the um, the measurement of impact and across the bottom uh, going horizontally would be cost. And so the upper left quadrant then becomes high impact and low cost. And so if you can think about framing um, the answers to all of your problems mm-hmm. in that quadrant, um, you know, John Cox would say it helps you get some points on the board really, really quick. And it's really, it's a really good exercise to go through. And again, we tend to gravitate <laughs> I don't know why, but people tend to gravitate towards things that are high cost and low impact, you know. <laughs> and so, and so you want to you want to go exactly the opposite quadrant: uh, high impact, uh, low cost. And um, if you can, that's where uh, that really is where you want to live. 
Okay, question number seven is, who can help me solve this problem? John, take it away. Yes, such a great question. And uh, a lot of times we will, out of pride, um, I think a lot of times we will think that we have to come up with all of the answers. And I would I would encourage you, um, when you're posed with a any problem, whatever it is, uh, just to say at the beginning, I'm not sure, or I don't know the answer to this. And so now rather than you trying to show off and uh, show up and be really, really impressive, now you can get get to the, the best answer, the best solution to whatever problem uh, it is that you're trying to solve. Now, I have found uh, something really, really helpful. It's just to call people that I think have solved uh, mm-hmm. this problem. And so uh, in every ministry setting, there were people that I looked to and I would say, hey, I'm up against this. How did you handle this? Did mm-hmm. you ever run up against this? And generally, people that are further down the road uh, for me have been able to give me incredibly helpful advice. People who uh, helped other churches. I remember having uh, some conversations with people who are further down the road than me. And they just, I feel like they saved me years mm-hmm. uh, because of some of the advice. And they said, uh, you know, you're trying to solve this problem. Just so you know, this is the one that's coming uh, around the corner. So if I were you, I would be thinking about uh, X and you're thinking about Y. And I, I had to take it by faith uh, that they were right. Turns out that they were uh, right. So um, don't just you know try to impress yourself mm-hmm. uh, or impress those around you. Pick up the phone, send an email, uh, reach out, ask for a cup of coffee and uh, pose a problem and see what other people would say. An example we've done this uh, that we've done around Watermark that I really liked how we've institutionalized this is we have something called the business advisory team, which is a, a group of lay leaders um, who are in the business world who help our finance and operations team solve big problems. And we yeah. institutionalize them. They meet, I believe, once a month or something like that. But that's an example of, of and that, that takes humility to go, we are not going to pretend to be experts in all arenas. So we are going to bring in people who have done this before. So that's a really simple thing um, to not have to feel like you have to know everything. Um, The other nuance I would add here is as a leader, not only looking to your peers in ministry to help you solve problems, but the people that you lead. Um, So I think that sometimes leaders can try to solve problems in isolation and shield the people they're leading from from helping so them good. solve that problem. So good. So and good. I found I used to do that specifically when I was newer to being specifically in management. I thought I had to solve the problem on my own and unveil it to the team and um, get them all excited and cast all the vision and have it all together. <laughs> but people support what they help create. And so when you have the humility to go, I don't know how to solve this problem you, uh, I'm leading you. Will you help me solve this problem? And then you get buy-in and they, they've seen the process. And so I would go widen it to peers, widen it to other people at other, other churches who have done the same thing, but include the people you lead. And some of the best ideas, um, that have made the greatest impact on my team have not come from me, have come from the people that I lead. That's good. And you just want to create a culture where people, um, if they're never asked, they'll never engage that part of their brain. They'll never think about, uh, solutions and opportunities. Um, but if you're regularly asking them, Hey, we have got a problem. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Then, then the people that you lead and work with, they'll begin to think that way and they will bring to you problems and solutions that you weren't aware of. So it's really, that's a great, great point. Absolutely. All right. Question number eight, how can we look at this differently? Yes. What does that mean, John? So first off, if you have any kind of constraint, uh, don't see it as a negative. Go. I, I've actually been given a gift. And so I remember walking my kids into a store when they were little and I would say, Hey, you know, let's pick something out. Well, now what's going to happen is I'm going to go down every single aisle. Um, and we're going to pick up something that may, you know, maybe too expensive or too messy or just, we're not, you know, we're not doing that. Uh, but it's going to take us forever, right? It's a miserable mm-hmm. experience. Right? But if I said, Hey, um, I want you to go pick out, you know, 
something that cost ten dollars um, from um, you know this aisle in the store. Now now we've got uh, we got a lot of clarity, and we can get in and out of that store. Everybody's going to be happy. Uh, same same thing here. So uh, you might uh, have a con- uh, constraint of cost. And I wouldn't see that as a negative. Uh, you might have a constraint of time. I wouldn't see that uh, as a negative. Just get into this um, kind of this habit of uh, if there's not a constraint, imposing one uh, on yourself just to kind of play with that and see what would happen um, if I looked at this completely different. And, and I, th- I think I remember this story correctly. The guy that was trying to figure out how to solve the problem of um, a dishwasher, if you remember the, the old dishwashers that had that dial that just mm-hmm. rotated, you know, yeah. it went from cycle to cycle like that. Apparently Apparently that was a problem that just couldn't be fixed, and um, all these engineers couldn't couldn't fix it. And the guy the guy that did um, would would just play these ridiculous games uh, with himself. And he talked about laying under uh, the table in his dining room and just going, "Okay, if an alien with three fingers was trying to operate, um, you know, a dishwasher, how would he go about it? And how would how would I have to design it for uh, for him? And just by by in uh, introducing these ridiculous constraints, he came up with you know a solution. I think I'm sure he patented it and made you know uh, gazillions of dollars. And so I would encourage you just to, if you don't have one, uh, force your way to think about if I could solve this with a dollar, uh, what would that look like? If a first grader was going to solve this problem, uh, what would that look like? If I had to solve it by Monday or, uh, you know, any of those kinds of things, put that on there. Um, look at it differently and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Love that. Okay. Um, so next one, number nine, where historically have I gotten breakthroughs? So uh, sometimes it really helps to take yourself out of whatever environment you're in and, and put yourself in a new environment that brings you life. So a way to think about this is think about your past leadership and where historically have you gotten breakthroughs? In what types of settings have you been able to solve problems in the past and put yourself in those settings? So John, I know you go on walks, right? That's your thing? Uh, runs. Actually, well, <laughs> it's funny that you would say that. I don't know. That wasn't a dig, but my runs are so slow that they probably <laughs> look like walks. That's probably why you said clear, that. To be clear, I go on walks. That's one of mine. Okay. We'll kick so it to me there next. is actually, um, I need to research this more, but there actually is a zone where you're, you know, you're getting cardio, but you're not taxing mm-hmm. uh, the respiratory nervous system, all those things so much that, you know, you're in this fight or flight um, mentality. What you're doing is just kind of increasing blood flow. Um, you've, you've given your your brain something to kind of occupy itself and it unlocks this creativity. So uh, for me, it's, it's, <laughs> it's slower than uh, I would want to put on video. But if I will run uh, mm-hmm. in that zone, right, I've got a problem, I can't fix it. I'll tee up that problem. I'll put on my shoes and go for that, you know, long, slow run. It's uncanny how often I will come back with a solution. I'll, I'll run into the house and I'll write down uh, the answer that mm-hmm. I just got. So right there in that zone for me is, is a really big one. Uh, so for me, I have kind of two things that I do when I when I get stuck. One is I typically need 24 hours and a good night's sleep. Yep. So my friends laugh that I need 24 hours to process almost anything. <laughs> um, so often if I'm working on something, and I'm really stuck. I don't let the pressure of time or I try not to let the pressure of time force me into a premature decision. And I go, can I just sleep on this and come back to you in 24 hours? And often it's there, but just asking for that. The other thing is that I work best in front of a whiteboard. I get a nervous twitch if I don't have a whiteboard um, near me. And so uh, I like to turn off all my devices. And my favorite things to do on a Friday afternoon is uninterrupted time in front of the whiteboard in my office. And that's just a place where I feel like I'm able to write things to see it. And I'm away from all distractions. And those are those are kind of the two things I do when I need a breakthrough. I love it. Um, you know, we don't have a point for this one, but I would just add pray. Right? Just 
mm-hmm. just pray. And you think about the, uh, the fact that uh, the God of the universe is on your side. If you're working on things that, uh, that he cares deeply about, um, you can, if you lack wisdom, you can ask for it and God will give it to you. So um, uh, oftentimes just praying, having other people pray uh, with you uh, as well, um, I think is um, you know, one of our competitive advantages. And it would be crazy just to stand in front of whiteboards or go on runs uh, or pick up the phone and not ask uh, our God uh, for help in whatever problem that we're trying to solve. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. The final one, question 10, is what I, I would consider this a John McGeeism because I learned this from you and I've heard you repeat it often. So the question is, what? Is the next wise step? Man, that has uh, that has saved me countless times. And so, what I have found is that uh, complex things really do uh, sort themselves out. They untangle themselves if you'll just take the next wise step. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to see it all the way to the end. Um, sometimes, as leaders, you can't. You know, it's the curvature of the earth. You don't you don't know what's on the other side. All you can do is just begin to walk in that direction. And as you do, you get more and more. Clarity. So if you don't know what to do, if you can't see it all the way to the end, ask, and I think this is a great question, what's the next wise step? And I told that story uh, on another podcast about us getting all of our stuff stolen in Italy. Mm-hmm. And that was just a question our family asked. We had no passports. We had no money. No, you know, We had one cell phone um, and a pack of Uno cards with Italian instructions. And we kept asking that question, what's the next wise step? Yeah, And that is that is why I'm here and not uh, not in Italy. So yeah, I just found that's a great, uh, a great question. What is the next wise step? So uh, as we wrap up, Caitlin, any other, uh, any other thoughts uh, that you have? Um, my only thoughts are maybe my dad should join us to tell his version of the rooster story. <laughs> That's my only plug, shameless plug. The so I'm first. going next time around, stay tuned. We might have a part two. That would be amazing. Yeah. We'll just see. It's, and it makes me want, I, I won't, but I want to know, is there, what else, uh, oh. what other revelations uh, came? But I just love. Maybe we could do that. Maybe yeah. we could ask him, where did you pull the wool over Caitlin's eyes as a kid? Or I think it's an exercise in problem solving. It was either kill the rooster or let it run away. And he said, there's a third option. I can take it to the pound. So I think that it's a, it's a, it's illustrative of this podcast. I'm still, I just don't know. At a pound, they take a rooster. They, the guy behind know. the counter goes, oh, thanks for the rooster. And he turns around and puts it in the, in the cage sure next to the cat. I, I think he tied it to the fence and drove away. Okay, see, now we go. I'm so sorry, Dad. (laughs) I'm out at you. You tried to, and I pressed, and I, when I didn't know that, I did not know that we didn't. He's a great dad. He's a great dad. (laughs) Doing the best. He's done that with no other family pets that I know of. (laughs) Okay, now that we've now that we, Caitlin's childhood is all out in the open, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, next next family meal is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, let's land the plane, and I would just say this: um, that problem solving really is a skill that you develop. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about one of my kids um, is one of my daughter, and she is she's a math genius, you know, in a way that I'm I'm just not. And I remember her sitting at my my kitchen table doing just basic math. One plus one, you know, then division and then basic algebra. And um, I think last year or this year, she, she took cal- uh, calculus three and oh, she wow. just told me, he's like, hey, dad, it's so fun. It's so easy. Right. <laughs> well, it, she didn't go from zero to calculus three. There was there was a path there. And it's really I, I, I love watching other people um, who are great at solving problems, factor problems and uh, come up with solutions because they've been doing it for so long. It's so fun to observe. Well, well, that that can be you now mm-hmm. if you're doing basic math, you can't do calculus three yet. It's a process, but you have to do basic math so that you can do algebra, so that you can do calculus, so that you can do calculus three. And uh, it is a process. You're going to have to lean into it. If you're not making, um, you know, if you're, if you're not uh, in the room right now solving all the problems, uh, ask those who are. 
and ask what they're learning. Um, force yourself to think, if this was mine to solve, what would I do? How would I think about that? What lessons could I, I draw from? Uh, and just become a really good problem solver because whatever you're working on, uh, it's going to matter. It's going to uh, matter to the kingdom of God and it deserves our best. And you need to, as a leader, be able to show up and solve um, problems. And uh, that is a good stewardship uh, of your leadership. So I think a really simple tactic could be to just print off this list of questions and write them down and just put one into practice in the next week. Yeah. If you're in the middle of a discussion um, uh, and it could be something, it doesn't have to be a big, big problem, something small. And what would it look like to put one of these into practice next week and just see what happens. And then, like you said, it's a skill that you'll develop over time and you'll try things that won't work and you'll find your own flavor of problem solving. So we're excited to hear how it goes. Okay. So tune in next time when Caitlin and her dad uh, talk about uh, the first 10 years of her life. That's going to be a uh, ton of fun. But until then, uh, thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, we can be reached at clp at watermark.org, clp at watermark.org. We will talk to you next time. Thanks.